0: Time to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Matthew, thank you very much for agreeing to take part, and also Nathan, great to have you. Um, I wanted to start off by asking, I think metaphysics as a term and as a concept is quite confusing to a lot of people, whether they study philosophy or not. I thought it might be worth just briefly going over what sort of things metaphysics deals with and then why the fine-tuning argument is such a good um, example of a discussion within metaphysics.
1: Yeah, excellent. Uh, You're quite right, metaphysics is a confusing term. I think there's a colloquial use of it which is related to things like meditation or tarot card reading. and Sometimes when you see metaphysics in a bookshop, it might be to do with that more spiritual kind of stuff, um, but metaphysics, I think, um, certainly in academic philosophy, it's more scientific. Um, in fact, the, the boundary between theoretical physics and metaphysics isn't all that clear, and one of the things that I'll, uh, point I'll make today is, is that, um, you know, that's the case, the fine-tuning exa- uh, problem is something that physicists think about occasionally. Um, But what is metaphysics? Well, I suppose the overall aim is to ask very general questions about the nature of reality. Um, And they they are often questions that you can't answer by doing some scientific experiment. So um, often metaphysical questions are about concepts that scientists take for granted, or they use the concepts without really questioning them. Something like time, Uh, what is time? That's... um, a metaphysical question, which again, is of interest to physicists as well, um, but you can't really do an experiment to show um, what time is. It's a very conceptual, theoretical question. I suppose partly because we're often within the world that we're critiquing. We're in time, so we can't study time. Yeah, you can't step out to sort of get a god's eye view on things. Yeah, that's certainly right. Um, sometimes the questions are very abstract, like what is a number. You, you know. Uh, it might seem like a question that a mathematician ought to be able to answer, but actually not. I think most mathematicians use uh, numbers, but they don't always think about um, if they exist and in what sense. Sure. I could go on. There are lots of concepts out there that, that the metaphysician is interested in. Causation, laws of nature, identity, composition. Uh, you get metaphysical questions in the philosophy of mind. Um how does the mind relate to the body? Are they distinct in some sense? Mm. So it's quite a broad uh, subject. But I think that the overarching theme is that we're asking very conceptual questions about reality. Mm. Okay.
0: And then, so, could you then give an overview of the fine-tuning argument and why, why that fits so well into to metaphysics?
1: Yes, well, I, I think one of the reasons the fine-tuning problem is quite nice for for this kind of conversation is that it's a lot of of people think about this question when they're getting into philosophy because it's a question about um, how life is possible Um, and I think often people question their own existence and wonder why am I here Um, so I think the kind of question that we'll talk about today I think it is of interest to a lot of different people not necessarily people who study philosophy, Mm. Um, and one of the things I wanted to try and point out is that that it is a genuine question, you know, it's not that uh, metaphysicians are wasting their time on questions that are so abstract that they don't really make sense. Mm. I mean, for me, the fine-tuning problem is very clear and very genuine, Um, and also the solutions to it seem very clear and seem like real options, So we're not doing anything that's opaque or abstract here. We're dealing with a a very concrete problem. Um, And another point that I'd like to make is that, um, you know, the methodology we use to try and settle the problem um, isn't that different from how theoretical scientists approach problems. So it's not that metaphysics has got this weird methodology that you don't get anywhere else. So some of the critiques of metaphysics I think are unfair, you know, some people say well we should stick with science and, you know, that's the best way of finding out about reality. Well actually, a lot of theoretical science, it goes through the same sorts of patterns as uh, a metaphysical debate.
2: how, in the shortest possible way, how would you state the question that you think the fine-tuning argument answers?
1: Good, thank you. Yeah, so let's let's get on to the question. That was just a sort of um, motivation for thinking about this particular yeah, problem. Uh, well, fine-tuning is a fact um, about the laws and physical constants that we find in science. Um So, scientists are very interested in generating laws, obviously, because they can help to explain things and generate predictions. Um, Now, what's striking is that there are quite a lot of laws um, and a lot of physical constants. Uh, The set is quite large. Maybe there are 20 or so uh, variables in current cosmological theories. Um, Now, here's the thing. Uh, They are very specific. So the laws, uh, the variables, they come out with very specific values. And what's interesting, and this is what generates the problem, it seems that things could very easily have been otherwise. So the laws, the constants might have been very different, as far as we can tell. Um, But the thing is, if they had have been different, then life wouldn't have been possible. Mm So there's something striking about this fact. We look at the laws, uh, the the, the variables that we get in scientific theory. It's very specific, um, and it seems like things could have easily been. Otherwise, I mean, we seem free to imagine that the laws could have been different. And yet, if they had have been different, life wouldn't have been possible. So this seems to call out for explanation. It almost seems like, you know... It's almost a miracle that life at all is possible. Um, and usually when we find something so miraculous and so important to
0: us, normally you would think that there would be some kind of explanation. So just to give an example, there's the, um, the energy density of a vacuum. Um, physicists think that if this was different by 0.0, I think with 120 zeros and then a one, um, then the universe wouldn't contain any stars, galaxies or anything really, it would just be a, I don't know, grey goo. Yes,
1: yeah, I mean there are endless examples, if you Google this you can find many, um, yeah there are facts to do with the rate of expansion of the universe, if that had have been uh, slightly higher then the stars wouldn't have formed, but if it had been slightly lower then the universe would have collapsed before. Very in much. In
0: happened. what sense could the constants have been different, would you be able to just and I've spelled that out a bit more. Before
1: we get to that, so
2: mm. to, to maybe state it succinctly, it's something like, why is the universe like this, since this is the only way that we could exist? So if you're it in one really quick sentence, it's sort mm. of saying, why is it like this?
1: Because it could be other ways, and if it were, none of us would be alive. Exactly. It seems like we're so lucky, um, and it seems like such a miracle that we're here, that it calls out for explanation. That's a good question. Um, yeah. So, whether we can find the right explanation is something we can discuss in a minute. Um, but many many people feel that the pull of uh, needing to, you know, explain this coincidence. Yes, and it's
2: a good question. I think that seems like a reasonable
1: thing to acknowledge as well. That it actually is a good question. Sometimes you think
2: sometimes things there's some sort of hidden logic behind it which shows that in fact it's not a good question, maybe we'll get on to that some of that later, but like this is mm. a thing which should cause us to be surprised and confused, mm. presented with this set of evidence, we should go, huh, odd.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what are the different explanations for, for fine-tuning?
1: Yeah, so there might be a helpful uh, analogy that we can use, uh, this is from John Leslie, in his book, Universes. Um, so the fine-tuning problem is a bit like this. Um, imagine that you go fishing and you catch a fish that's of a certain length. Uh, let's say that it's, I don't know, 23.2576 inches. I think that's the example Leslie uses. Now, you get this fish out, you measure it. Is that surprising? Is there anything special about what's happened? Well, no. You have to you know, catch a fish of some length if there were fish available. Um, so it might as well have been that length as any other. There's nothing really that calls out for explanation there. Um, but the fine-tuning problem is analogous to this. Imagine that you find out your rod could only catch a fish of exactly that length. Mm. Right? Imagine that we specify the length to 100 decimal places and then we find out that, you know, the rod could only have ever Um, caught a a fish of exactly that length, so, as it were, the rod is fine-tuned for that particular fish. Then we need to um, give an explanation, you might think. There's something really lucky about what's just happened. Well, there are certain possibilities that you might entertain, and I think these line up with um, the metaphysical Mm -hmm. possibilities in the the real fine-tuning problem. Um, so anyway you 've got this fish and you find out that it 's exactly the right length for your rod, and if you 're really hungry, then you might think oh i 've been really lucky here, and mm. uh, this is almost too good to be true sure um, so what are the, w- what explanations might you give well, for a start, it would be a, a bad explanation to think that there was just this one fish and that it just happened to be the right length I mean that would sort of that would not explain what happened, that would just confirm that you'd been really lucky. Right, yeah. um, however, there might be a few other possibilities. One might be that someone planted the fish. Yeah. Someone might have been spying on you, they knew that you were going to mm-hmm. this lake with this particular rod, and they wanted you to have a meal, so they planted exactly the right fish for you into the lake. Now this lines up with what we call the design hypothesis mm-hmm. in the fine-tuning debate. The thought is that, it's such a coincidence that the laws and the constants are right for life, uh, that there must be some kind of designer um, who created things in such a way that life could prosper. Okay. So that would be one hypothesis uh, in the fish story. Another one might be that there were loads and loads of fish. Yes. Okay. So if you sat there for long enough, then one would come along of the right length. Since that
2: was the only kind of fish you could catch. We're not surprised you didn't catch other fish because you couldn't, a rod can only catch fish
1: of 23.7. Exactly. So if you were, were ever going to catch a fish, it would be one of that length. But given that there were lots of fish in the lake, all of different lengths, if you sat there for long enough, then sooner or later one would come along of the right length. So there'd be a randomness there, mm-hmm. but because of the volume of fish, it would be less of a surprise that you got one of exactly that length. So what we've done there is posited lots of fish Mm -hmm. in order to try and explain why we caught the one of the right length. Um, And similarly, in the fine-tuning debate, people wonder whether there might be many, many universes, Um, each of which has different laws and constants, perhaps. Maybe these are just randomly generated worlds. But the thought is that if there are enough of these worlds in existence and they all varied a bit in their laws and constants, then, you know, the law of averages says that one of them will crop up um, that's conducive to life. And as you said before, we could only ever uh, catch a fish of that length. We could only live in a world that is conducive to life. So then the fact that we are in a world like this no longer seems surprising at all, because we've got all of these worlds um, of different laws and constants. One of them, or a few of them, are bound to be conducive to life, just that's what the randomness would throw up eventually. Um, And well, you know, we have to live in one of those universes that is conducive to life, so we shouldn't be that surprised that we're here.
0: I think a lot of people still feel surprised though that we happen to be in this (coughs) particular one and it's very hard to get rid of that that really deep set intuition that we're lucky in a way.
1: Yes, so there are detailed questions then about this hypothesis. It's usually called the multiverse hypothesis or the many worlds hypothesis. Um, Some people think that it doesn't really explain that much depending on what it is you're trying to explain. If you are thinking just about this world and you're asking why this world has these laws and constants, mm. uh, then it's less clear that there's much of an explanation here. Because if the world's are random gener- uh, generated randomly, then you know there isn't a particular reason why this world ended up mm. um, having laws. To think otherwise would be a kind of gambler's fallacy. To suppose mm. that you know how this world turns out is affected by how other worlds are, mm-hmm. that, that would be a fallacious argument. So if, it, if you frame it as a, a problem about why this particular world has those laws and constants, then maybe there's a problem here. Mm-hmm. However, if all you're interested in is why does life exist, then I think it, it, it might be a promising...
0: Approach. What does this multiverse actually look like? Are all of these universes separate from each other? Is it possible to travel to another universe?
1: There are different... Um, ways of modelling the multiverse. Uh, but I think, you know, by definition, they are in a, in a way separate, so we can't travel from one to the other because then they wouldn't be independent. They would just be part of the same universe. Mm. Um, there are some models where the different worlds overlap. So it might be that um, other worlds branch off from ours, so maybe there'll be some overlap early on. Uh, but certainly, you can't travel from one branch to the
0: other. Um, and what what sort of sense is this dice being rolled? How how could you um, explain that in more of a metaphysical sense? Well, that's
1: where you might think there isn't an ultimate
0: explanation here. Uh, Does that generate more problems? Do you think than just a universe which just popped into existence by chance? Because you then have to explain the you know, the random chance of each separate universe, through the multiverse?
1: Well, yeah, so there's a question, you know, why does the multiverse exist? Mm, yeah. um, that doesn't really get explained, I mean, that's just, a, a, yeah. that's just part of the hypothesis that they do exist. So maybe it's a partial explanation, it's that if you're happy to accept that these exist, then it would raise the probability of there being life and therefore reduce its surprisingness. So in an indirect way, that seems like a good reason for accepting the hypothesis. But you're, you're not then giving an explanation for why those worlds exist. That's a just a sort of unexplained part of the hypothesis. Yeah. So in a way, you might think we've not gotten rid of chance. Um, but I suppose the point is, you know, if there was only one world, then we'd only have one shot at life. Um, so I think it would be more of a miracle if if fine tuning occurred. Then, whereas if we've got all these different worlds, then it seems like we've got more shots at coming into existence.
2: I'm right in saying that we don't have any we don't have any evidence to lead us to believe the multiverse. The multiverse is sort of a a like a philosophical construct which or a scientific construct which 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 solves this problem. We have a problem. This is a posited solution. We don't have any reason to believe other than that it is a solution. We have no other reason to believe that it's...
1: That's a very good question. So I think when philosophers started thinking about these possibilities of of the universes, it was for very much metaphysical reasons. Um, Not only the fine-tuning problem, people were thinking about possibility and how to account for facts of possibility, and it seemed natural to suppose there might be possible worlds out there in some sense which represent... Facts of possibility. It was all very philosophical. Nowadays, in physics, it is a hypothesis that they entertain. Uh, there is a many-worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, mm. um, which isn't that different. Th- that is a sort of branching model. Uh, the fine-tuning uh, multiverse hypothesis, it probably works better when the uh, universes are completely cut off from each other. So maybe there will there'll be differences in detail. Um, But yeah, in quantum mechanics, some people think that because of the weird data we get um, and the apparent, uh, well, indeterminism or chance that we seem to find at the fundamental level, they think that maybe what's going on here is that um, whenever we seem to find a chance event, what's actually happening is that lots of possibilities are happening at the same time um, and the worlds are branching according to the different possibilities. Uh, And the reason why quantum mechanics looks odd is because we are only on one of those branches, so everything looks a little bit sort of unexplained and arbitrary, when in fact, you know, every possibility is realised at every possible moment. So that seems to sort of explain why quantum mechanics seems odd uh, in terms of its chanciness. Um, But, you know, that theory does require these other worlds that we can never really observe. Yeah. So, so it, it is a it is a hypothesis that scientists entertain, but for different reasons. But if you put all of these different motivations together, maybe you start to build a good case then for the multiverse hypothesis. So it's kind of interesting how the debate has developed.
0: Sure. So if you have... There's three different options. There's the one that the universe just happened to have these constants by chance, and there's only one of them. Um, There's the intelligent design hypothesis, that there was an intelligent designer who made the constants what they are, and then there's also the multiverse. How does um, a metaphysician go about deciding between these? So if you have, I think a lot of people would think that the god hypothesis was simpler because you only have one god and one universe, whereas in the multiverse you have an unbelievable amount of um, universes, so why would you prefer that one over um, intelligent design?
1: Yeah, g- good question. I mean, the, I think what's interesting here is that we'll see that the methodology is quite similar to how theoretical science sometimes pans out, um, which is namely, we think about the theoretical virtues of each position and think about what problems it might create um, along the way. Um, I should just say before we talk about some specific theoretical virtue, simplicity is one which you mentioned. Um, It it might not be that these are all the possible solutions, I might not have exhausted all the possibilities. I also like um, the supposition that the laws of nature are necessary and that they couldn't have been otherwise. because one of the assumptions of the fine-tuning problem is that the laws and the constants could have very easily have been otherwise. You could question that. You, know, you might wonder whether you know, maybe space-time constrains in some way, in a way that we can't yet explain how things can be in terms of the laws of nature.
0: Yeah. Because so I was talking to Nathan earlier and I was saying you couldn't have a universe in which pi was different, for example. There are some mathematical constants which have to be the way they are because they're defined through other means. So it seems possible that the physical constants could also be constrained in that sort of way.
1: Yes, I agree. I mean, some of this will maybe become clearer as science progresses. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are many philosophical theories of laws which say that they are necessary. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Sometimes it seems you almost just push the same argument back a step, because then if you say that actually none of them could have been at all different than they are, So previously we might have said that the the Earth was very unlikely. We would have said it was very unlikely that we should have a sun in the sky and we should have a moon and we should have flat ground beneath us. all very unlikely. And then we said, actually, no, that's not unlikely at all. There's all sorts of places in the universe with flat ground beneath them and a big star in the sky. And then so what we did was we pushed that back. And eventually we've pushed it back so far as we end up with the fine-tuning argument. We say we've got a universe that's like this because of all these physical constants. It does seem to me maybe that if you then say, oh, well the nature, the fundamental nature of the universe is such that all of these constants would always end up like that. Then all you've just done is pushed it a step further back. You've rather than said oh, the universe is like it is and the, and the constants change, you've just said that's some intrinsic nature of the universe. And I suppose that begs the question, why couldn't the universe be fundamentally different? I and mean, we can sort of imagine it to be.
1: Yes, so. yes, good. I mean, these are all the challenges that, I mean, every solution faces this sort of yeah. challenge that you have to really, when you think about the details, you wonder whether it really provides the explanation that it promised. I think the key there would be to give an explanation for where the necessity comes from. Um, And if we're not going with the design hypothesis, it couldn't be a kind of um, supernatural necessity. Um, Maybe something like um, that, you know, space-time by its essence gives rise to certain properties uh, like mass and maybe it's just in the nature of mass that it generates certain behaviour, gravitational behaviour. This is a view that's called dispositional essentialism uh, in the literature, Um, and it just says that properties, um, by their nature, dispose towards certain behaviour, and that it's incoherent to say that mass could have obeyed a different gravitational law, say, because then it wouldn't be mass, it would be something else. Um, Now, again, there are always challenges here because then you have to explain why it seems so easy to conceive of the laws being different. That was the point you made at the end there. So you have to sort of do further work to show that, you know, when we try to conceive of things, things can go wrong, uh, that we're not really reliable when we try to imagine things. There's a lot of work to be done there. You have to explain why... We end up thinking that these things are conceivable, like you know mass behaving in a different way. Mm. You'd have to explain why that appears to conceivable, be conceivable if, in fact, it's not possible. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So all of these solutions raise problems, and to go back to the central question about methodology, you end up doing a, a kind of cost-benefit analysis. Mm. Um, you touched upon some challenges there for the. Uh, necessitarian view of laws but you get similar uh, questions with the other solutions so with the design hypothesis one might ask well what is this designer like um, are they physical or are they some kind of um, abstract being that exists outside of the universe, if they exist outside of the universe then how are they able to interact in a way that you know, has an effect on how the laws are um, so you get these kind of interaction problems.
2: So Steve and I were talking earlier about, I suppose one of the things is, to what extent do you think people's personal preferences encourage them to think in certain ways in regard to these arguments? So I imagine that some people probably just think that a multiverse is sort of, in some scientific sense, cleaner than a designer. designer throws up all sort of messy religious questions, whereas the multiverse is just, it, it, it seems provable, it seems replicable in some sense, it seems like doing experiments and on some level that feels like it might be a decision based more on personal taste than actual sort of rational decision making and how do you?
1: Well maybe one theoretical virtue is that you know a solution should cohere with one's other beliefs and so that is I think a rational consideration. Um, for example, if the quantum mechanics people really start liking the many-worlds view, <laughs> then the many-worlds solution to the fine-tuning problem would have the virtue of being uh, consistent with what scientists are yeah. thinking. So you, you, yeah, so you shouldn't think about a solution in isolation. You should think about how it sure. uh, preserves beliefs elsewhere. So I, I think that's not you know, a, a, a bad consideration,
0: actually. Is the multiverse answer. hypothesis in any way different from unobservable things in modern physics is it any different to say that um, you know we have the, the big bang theory and the steady state theory and the big bang theory although both of them are unobservable and unmeasurable in some sense because they were you know, the big bang was just so long ago that we couldn't go out and look at it um, but there are still consequences of it which imply that it happened is, is the multiverse any different from anything else in theoretical physics?
1: No, I think this is, the boundaries are vague. I think this was one of the points you know, that I think is worth making. So if you think about how cosmologists or people in quantum mechanics, how they arrive at an interpretation of their data, it's often through cost-benefit benef- analysis they think about, you know, what's the simplest, most elegant theory? I think you used the word clean you thought that the multiverse hypothesis might be cleaner than um, the design hypothesis. Uh, and that is a legitimate virtue. I think scientists would agree on that. Um, if you've got I two competing models is, and one is... Similar. I suppose the question
2: is, does that make it true, I suppose? is It had, might have a virtue, but true is the truth always clean or is sometimes it complicated and messy?
1: Well, it's you know, I don't think you ever get proofs in either theoretical physics or metaphysics, but you can do this cost-benefit analysis and look at the the theory holistically, and hopefully one will come out as a winner, and then it's rational to believe that theory even if you, you know, you don't have any certainty. Um, You know, it can be disappointing to people that philosophy doesn't always deliver certainty, but I actually think, You know, at the fundamental level of science, we face similar problems, you know, because you can have two experts on quantum mechanics and they disagree about how to interpret the data. It's probably because they value certain theoretical virtues over others. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, So, in a sense, the intelligent design hypothesis is um, sort of quantitatively simpler than the multiverse hypothesis because you you don't have all of the this these other universes as baggage, whereas um the multiverse hypothesis doesn't infer any sort of different beings like a god. Is there any way is there any reason why we should prefer something that is qualitatively simple as opposed to quantitatively?
1: Well, very good question. I think philosophers are, you know, disagree about this. Some people think that you know you need to keep the number of entities to a minimum. Well, if you want that then the design hypothesis looks better because you're only positing one new thing. Um, on the other hand some people would say, well, what's important here is that we aren't positing things of an entirely unfamiliar kind. So it doesn't matter if we posit lots of uh, universes, because we're familiar with them and we know what they can be like, and so even if we have an infinite number of other worlds, that's still a kind of theoretically simpler option than just having this one thing that's actually very unusual.
2: I think, and I think the thing you said before has, so you sort of said, where does it line up? And so some people might say, well, they think that the design argument lines up with a sense of morality that they have, or other aspects, religious teachings, whereas other people might say well this multiverse argument lines up with things in say quantum mechanics as there is some ability to sort of look at where these different theories line up and see which you think lines up quote unquote more as if it's, as if it's possible really yes. to compare I, I
1: think you, you look at things holistically um, and when you realise that you know the design hypothesis is a kind of religious uh, approach then that will throw up new questions I mean in the philosophy of religion, there's this question of evil. If the, if God is benevolent or whoever the, the designer might not be a God. It depends what you mean by God, but um, it'd be some kind of supernatural being. It seems. Um, well, one reason why uh, that being might create a world is because they, you know, are benevolent and want life to prosper. If they place value on such a thing, but then why does so much evil exists, you know, that's a further question that gets thrown up mm-hmm. um, and then you might, once you realise that that new problem arises you might back away from uh, that hypothesis and then look again at one of the others mm-hmm. so it's an ongoing process of looking at what new problems you get how easy it is to overcome them So it is a complicated process but this is all part of the cost-benefit analysis, that's the point I suppose I want to push here, is that, you know, as with a lot of science, the, the solutions aren't obvious. Mm. But
0: you have is this to... degree of similarity to science quite rare in metaphysics, do you think, that we find in the fine-tuning argument? I think the
1: methodologies are often the same, this mm. idea of doing a cost-benefit analysis. I think the subject matter can often be different. Usually metaphysics is uh, sort of... More abstract, it's looking at more general concepts like existence itself or some of the concepts that science presupposes, like laws of nature, causation, um, these kinds of fundamental concepts that scientists themselves don't
0: question, but philosophers do more so. Um, Do you think it would be useful to have a more defined framework by which we judge different hypotheses? So we had we were somehow able to judge the value of simplicity, of explanatory power, and there'd be some sort of calculation that you could do?
1: I would love it if people worked on this. I mean, I don't think there's as much uh, research on these high-level questions about theoretical virtues as there should be, I
0: think. Do you think that would be possible, though, in principle?
1: Well, I think, you know, we have we need to have more discussions about... You know, how we would rank different virtues. Is it more important to have a simple theory or is it more important to have a theory that explains lots of things? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, does elegance matter? I mean, if you have a really complicated theory, does, is that a bad thing or a good thing? Mm-hmm. Um, how much should we care about intuition? That's another question. Mm-hmm. There's a lo- there, there is actually some considerable literature on this now about mm-hmm. how reliable intuitions are in philosophy which i think is good
2: um, well, on some level with all of that you could have this sort of beautiful elegant theory which explains a lot and seems intuitively true but sort of it just might not be there's there's that difficult. We, we only have one universe to look at uh, this is almost a dumb thing to say but it seems worth noting that one of the issues here is that as things aren't replicable we can't retest things in the way mm. you can with science you come with a theory You then try and twist it around. You try and say, "Well, we expect this to happen. Does this happen?" Mm. And that's
0: we've got a sample space of one. Yeah, that's something we don't
2: we don't get here.
1: No, it's fallible. I think that's um, an unfortunate conclusion that one might draw here. Um, These methods are fallible, Uh, but nonetheless, I think we can have rational justification for believing certain things. I mean, I quite like the necessitarian view of laws and. I do quite a bit of work on that. Uh, am I certain that that's the right solution? No, uh, but I think. Is there a way the time... of
0: justifying a, a brute fact of the universe? If you if you take that the laws are just necessary, then is there any further than that argument can go?
1: Well, as I said earlier, I think you'd have to explain where the necessity comes from and what its metaphysical source might be. Earlier, I mentioned this view about. Talking about the essence of properties, and that that might generate.
0: uh, Because it kind of it seems to me that the the notion of probability and likelihood at that point goes out the window because there is no probability if it had to be that way. So it's almost like a a cheat step in the argument. Well. You know, there might be a
1: sense in which explanation always stops somewhere. I mean, you could always ask, you know, why does space-time exist? I'm not sure a necessitarian can answer that. Mm. But maybe they can give you a kind of conditional answer, which is that, you know, if these things exist, then it follows that the laws have to be this way. Mm. So that's some kind of explanation. But explanation always stops somewhere, I assume, otherwise it would go on forever, or you would end up with a circle of explanation. Um, so I think every, everybody has to have brute facts in the uh, metaphysics. I suppose the question is where should those brute facts be? Um, if if you wanted to just say that it's a brute fact that the laws are as they are, then you know this fine tuning problem would be a non problem. Mm. But you know, people a lot of people would find that dissatisfactory.
0: Do you
2: think there's any kind of quickly quick issues with the fine-tuning argument if you if you had to sort of say so you sort of in some sense don't believe in the fine-tuning argument you don't find it convincing
1: as this sort of necessity. well I if the um, necessitarian approach is correct then one of the assumptions of the problem is faulty namely the assumption that the laws could have been different because right. yes. it was that apparent uh, arbitrariness of the laws which seemed to you know make it such a coincidence that life Could exist.
2: And that doesn't that doesn't trouble you on a sort of quote unquote theological level. You don't sort of think, well, isn't it astonishing that the law should be exactly like this? You're you're not troubled by that personally then. If if you're this necessitarian view that it could only be like this, you don't sometimes wonder, Oh, it's it's isn't it strange that it it, that that was the case, otherwise I wouldn't exist and none of this would exist. That doesn't kind of trouble you on an existential level.
1: Well, I mean, metaphysically speaking, it's sort of incoherent to say that the laws could have been otherwise. I think, but, but I think from a sort of epic, what we call an epistemic perspective in philosophy, which is to do with um, belief and knowledge, you might find it hard to believe that the laws are uh, necessary purely because we seem to conceive of, of things being otherwise. But that's a cost of the theory. I mean, all of these theories have costs. The cost is that it has to really... Um, be quite negative about somebody's ability to imagine things and that seems hard to take for some people um, yeah, but all, all of these positions to have
0: conceivability costs. is limited I suppose as human beings we might be, it might be completely wrong to say that we could imagine the universe having different constants because I think in my mind when I try and think about that I imagine gravity being different for example but there are so many other um, facts about physics I think I'm probably missing out when I conceive of that picture of the universe in my mind. Do you just want to... I know on your other page you've got quite a mm.
2: succinct explanation of the fine tuning argument. I wonder if that would be useful to finish on. Just reading those points out, because if people haven't got it, it might just be useful to...
1: Yeah, well, the question we started with is how can we explain... Uh, the fact that life is possible. Um, And the multiverse explanation is quite simple. It's that there are many universes in existence. They exist independently of one another. But there are lots of them out there. And each individual universe was generated randomly. So they turn out to have different laws, different constants in each of them. Some of them will be very similar, some will will be very different. Um, And the thought is that if there were so many universes, each with different sets of laws, then the law of probability says that one of them, or a few of them, will guaranteed to be conducive to life. Um, and now, if you put that idea together with the idea that we could only ever observe a world that's conducive to life, then it seems not at all surprising then that we find ourselves in a world as living beings because we'd have to be alive in order to to look at worlds like this yes Um, so that seems to reduce the surprisingness of the fact that we are here it's because some world somewhere had to be conducive to life and we could only find ourselves on one of those worlds and whoever was on that world would say oh isn't it surprising whoever they were they would always be surprised even if they were Yes, and, until they entertain the multiverse hypothesis. So just to finish then, we've talked about, well, I suppose four approaches to the problem. One is just to accept that it's a fluke that we are here, that it's a fluke that the laws are as they are. That's a kind of non-explanation. We talked about the design hypothesis, the multiverse hypothesis that we just went through again. Uh, and maybe the necess- necessitarian option is a fourth, where you just say that one of the assumptions of the fine-tuning problem is faulty. So just to conclude, do you have any feelings about... My much? thoughts
0: are that the multiverse hypothesis is good, although um, an ex- a virtue that might be worth considering is how many further questions can be generated from accepting a hypothesis, and it seems like there are lots of questions which are generated by the multiverse hypothesis so how the how the universe is like what the nature of this cosmic dice throw is to begin with um which doesn't seem to be as much of a problem in the if it's just chance it's just it's just one throw as opposed to uh, a probability space of all of these different combinations and also the um the nature that these, these constants can be different is, I think, confusing as well. Is it, a, is it a sort of a linear relationship between um, the different values? Um, I think the, the necessitarian view is, um, I don't know, seems favourable in some sense to me. don't know what you think, Nathan.
2: Um, so, f- for other reasons outside of this, I'm a Christian. And therefore, I favour, on a sort of on 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 a basic level, I favour the design argument, um, and I I would be reluctant to necessarily act as if that's not like on some level a logical thing just because that's that's what I favour. Um, I think the others have some interest, though. I think also there do seem to be some possible critiques, some of which we've gone over. Some of which, you know, to what extent do they answer the question or just kind of kick the can down the road? Yes. I to what extent is the multiverse provable, um, and to what extent is the necessitarian view reasonable that everything had to be exactly this way. Um, and obviously those are the same kinds of critique that people level at, design arguments, I, what, what evidence is there, for God's sake, but that seems to me to suggest that it, it's hard to compare these, especially in isolation, to compare which one of these is, is better. Um, and... So I suppose I consider it something interesting to think about. But since my belief in God comes from elsewhere, then it kind of gives me like, it gives me an easy one that I suppose I sort of lump for based on my previous preferences.
1: And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the way I see philosophy is a holistic enterprise. So you should think about, you know, your system of beliefs rather than, you know, thinking about particular issues in isolation. Yeah. and and I think science works like that as well if if a theory interferes with a strongly held belief elsewhere, then that's a good reason for doubting that theory.
2: but by the same token,
1: I'm reluctant to act as if I have
2: better reasons than maybe I do and I think there are some there are some legitimate criticisms probably of these arguments, but I'd be sort of dishonest if I said that they, that my seeking of those issues doesn't come from place of. Firming up a previously held belief. I imagine that's true of lots of people, but I think it's just good to be honest with yourself
0: in that regard. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you both so much for taking part.
1: Yes, and thank you for inviting me. No problem. Thank you, Steve. Thank you.